Well, this is not going to be, as if you can't tell already, uh, this isn't going to be like most normal uh, Sundays for us. We're not going to be walking through a particular section of Scripture, but what we are going to be doing is looking back and celebrating the year that was and then looking ahead for what we believe and where we believe that God is calling us as a church. And so I'm excited to do that with you uh, tonight. And so I'm going to actually have a seat and just kind of walk with you uh, through this. Before we get into the sermon, I do want to recognize the three men on the back row. Uh, ben Tugwell, who's the pastor of Integrity Church in Greenville, Hal Holloman, and Josh Harris, who are both elders uh, there at Integrity. They're the church that sent us out to plant. Um, and so we're excited to have them here tonight joining us in worship. And so um, if you get a chance, say hello to them. Uh, but we are grateful that they are here. Um, I want to mention one thing, and so I don't forget it at the end. Um, small groups start back up this week, and so we'll have a slide up at the end. Uh, but small groups start up um, Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Uh, so both nights there at 6.30. Oh, there's the slide. Uh, the Melancon small group uh, meets Wednesday at 6.30 at 486 Albemarle Road here in Wilmington. And then the Wilson small group uh, meets Thursdays at 6.30, and that's at 401 Shuny Street. And so we'll put that slide back up, and you can jot that down, and we'll, we'll get an email out to everyone uh, with that information. Um, I believe uh, if we look back and look ahead, we are in a position for healthy gospel growth in 2019. Since the end of May 2018 until today, uh, sitting here in this room, we've seen God be faithful in his provision of people, of finances, of worship space. Uh, up until tonight, a rotation of musicians who've used their gifts to bless us as a church. Tonight, we used our gifts. Um, and we've marveled at the ways, if we're honest, we've marveled at the ways that God has used Restoration Church to strengthen and grow each of us in our walk with Jesus. There are many things that we've done outside the walls of the church. There are many things we want to do in the year ahead that are outside of the walls of church on Sunday. But I think the one thing that I'm constantly drawn to to celebrate, the one thing that I can hear and see most readily is how being involved with the church plant, especially for those of you who were, have been here from the beginning, is seeing how God has used seasons of questions, seasons of frustration, seasons of doubt uh, surrounding the church especially, or maybe even in your own uh, personal life as you've moved here, how God's used that uh, to stir up stronger affections for him, uh, but also to expose some idols and some sins uh, that maybe you wouldn't have seen otherwise. And so uh, tonight, we are just going to celebrate all that God has done. And we're going to also look ahead to where we believe God is leading us as a church and consider how we can truly see people restored and our city renewed through the gospel of Jesus Christ right here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful tonight. We're grateful to be gathered as your people. We're grateful for the work you've called us to as Restoration Church. And we're grateful for churches, uh, especially like Integrity, who loved us, who served us, who raised us up and then sent us out to plant here in Wilmington. And so, uh, Father, we just pause especially and pray for their church body as they're nearing the completion of their uh, permanent space, as they're transitioning uh, there. It's just a long answered, a long prayed and most recently answered prayer for them to be able to be in that permanent space. And so, Father, we pray for them and for Greenville uh, that you would use them uh, to see people restored and their city renewed through the gospel and that you would use their new space as a hub for missions in Greenville and the surrounding area. And so, Father, would you just 
meet with us here tonight and in the sweetness of your spirit, encourage us in all that lays ahead of us as a church. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, most of you know me in some capacity, but some of you uh, don't know me all that well. And so where I wanted to start tonight as we think vision, as we think ahead for the year 2019, is I wanted to give just a, a brief rundown of my own personal uh, ministry and leadership philosophy, because that gives shape to where the church goes. Uh, in some capacity or another, the church will reflect should reflect Jesus, but it also will reflect the pastor who leads it. And so you need to understand at least partly who I am, especially if you're kind of new to restoration, uh, because it will hopefully in a, just a brief moment of understanding who I am will help you understand the shape we see the church taking in the year ahead. And so in, in full disclosure, during the church planning process, I had to take an entrepreneurial test uh, that rates your ability as an entrepreneur. I took it sent the results in, and then about a week later, I got a phone call, and I was told by the guy on the other end of the phone that I'd scored the lowest on that test of anyone they had ever assessed for church planning. And if I'm honest, I was, I almost thought then, like, what's, what's the use in moving forward? Like, if I'm this low on this test that everybody that is successful scores high on, then maybe this is the first red flag of Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And so that was in the spring of 2015. So for the next year and a half, almost two years, I spent a lot of my, my time as a leader, as a developing pastor, trying to become a better entrepreneur. I thought, well, this is the one thing I've got to do if this church is going to be successful. I've got to become a better salesman. And it was a miserable two years because I was trying to be something that I'm obviously not. I was trying to force myself into a mold that a certain network said, if you score high here, you're going to be successful. But I remember also at the end of that phone conversation, the assessor told me, he said, don't be disheartened because it's obvious. I'd sent them a few sermons. He said, it's obvious you can preach and it's obvious through your preaching that you really love people. And so as much as I held on to, you're not very high on this one test that's for a completely different avenue of life than church planning, I also held on to this fact that he had told me, hey, you're actually not a terrible preacher, which you should probably hear at some point from someone other than your mom or your grandma. Uh, he's a really good preacher. Um, and that you love people. And those are foundational for my understanding of what it means to be a pastor is can I, can I as a pastor rightly handle the word and preach it faithfully week in and week out, train other men to be able to handle the word to preach it week in and week out, and can I know and love the people that make up Restoration Church? And so during the first week of August 2018, it still feels weird to say that was last year, but it was, I was asked the following question by Dr. Marshall Edwards, who's one of my mentors and true heroes of the faith. He looked me in the eye. We were sitting at his house in Blowing Rock. And he said, Chris, what kind of pastor is it that you want to be? And if I was honest in that moment, I had always thought about the pastor everyone else expected me to be. But I'd never really given much thought to what kind of pastor I wanted to be. How did I want to think through what it meant to faithfully lead a church? Not what kind of church planner, not what kind of entrepreneur, not what kind of businessman. What kind of pastor 
did I want to be? Like any great question, there was no easy answer, and it haunted me throughout the rest of the year. Every time I met with Mike Brown from the 1st of August, even through this week, one of my ongoing prayers that I have Mike pray for me is that I would have clarity and understanding on the type of pastor that I want to be. But I think I can at least answer that question in part tonight. And the biggest part of how I answer that question comes from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And this is what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. He says, So exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here it is. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here was, for me, the answer to what I wanted to be if I couldn't be a good entrepreneurial pastor. Here was a biblical understanding for me to begin to piece together who I wanted to be as a pastor. So these verses, in short, answer that question. I want to be a shepherd who knows his flock, who loves his flock, who serves his flock with glad joy and sets an example worthy of emulation. When I go to bed at night, when I wake up in the morning, one of the things I'm always thinking about, what I try to keep at the forefront, is Peter's exhortation to pastors in 1 Peter 5 that you would serve the flock willingly and not under compulsion, that this would never become something I just do because I think I have to do it, but there would always be a joy about leading a local church body. And I would never do it for shameful gain, that the ability for me to do my job well while needing to be compensated would never be determined. My effort level, my desire for this role, this calling would never be determined on the dollar figure attached to my pay. But that everything will be done so that, as he says at the end of verse four, or in verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so that's how and what influences so much of how I understand what it is to be a pastor in Wilmington in the year 2019. That when the chief shepherd appears, the shepherd who I have to answer to for how I lead this church, when we meet face to face, I have not disqualified myself or removed myself from receiving the unfading crown of glory. And so that gives shape to where we're headed as a church. As I've learned more and more how to answer the question of who I want to be as a pastor, I keep coming back to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, and I keep thinking, I want to do this with joy and gladheartedness. I want to do this without a desire for shameful gain, and I want to do it in a way that others, other pastors, other church members would look at me and go, that's an example worth following. Because I follow Christ well. That's my aim. That's my goal in all that I do. And so that, that in brief, and we could talk more about this, but I'm tired of using I and me and my. I was already nervous about having to say it that many times to open the sermon. So let's get into talking about us and we and y'all. Another, so we've talked 
throughout the year that we say Restoration Church exists to, be, to see people restored and our city renewed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this year, our focus is going, we're going to add one thing on to the end of that. We say Restoration Church exists to see people restored and our city renewed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it starts on your street. If you think about we exist as a church to see our people restored and our city renewed in its totality. That's an overwhelming thought to begin to process. But if we can bring it down and think about how do we start to see people restored and our city renewed by looking at the streets we live on, then that's where we begin to gain forward momentum in being the church that we feel like God is calling and leading us to be. So there are two texts that are going to give shape to everything we're going to talk about for the remainder of the time. One is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so the thing that we want to focus on, there's a lot in there. I mean, we could spend all year just fleshing out the implications of these few verses for the life of the church. But there's one thing in particular I want us to focus on out of there, and then we're going to read the other text and get into it. Paul says that he gave all these different offices in the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so one of the things how we want to focus on seeing people restored in our city renewed and it's starting on your street means that we have to be faithful in equipping you to do the work of ministry. I can't go to all your streets and set up shop and be the pastor for your neighborhood. I can't go to every little thing that you, you know of and are aware of and be the gospel presence. The goal is that we would equip, that we would faithfully equip everyone in here so that wherever you go, wherever you live, work, and play, you would be equipped to do the work of ministry, which is to give hope and to be loving and to share the gospel and to be merciful and to speak up for injustice, and to do all these gospel implications, all the one another's of the scriptures. That's what it means to equip the saints for the work of ministry, is to equip you to feel confident in sharing the gospel, and then to equip you in being able to fulfill the one another's that we find in scripture. And then 1 Peter 2, we're going back there, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When we think about 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. Why? that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so if you're here tonight and you've confessed and you've trusted in Christ and you're a child of God, then you are part of the chosen race. You are part of the royal priesthood. You are part of the holy nation and the people for his own possession. 
And so what that means is the leadership of restoration or the leadership of the churches in our city are not the only ones who bear the weight of being a gospel witness and a gospel presence in our city. It's on all of us. It's a shared responsibility to be those people who, when we recognize that we're part of this holy nation, we're part of this royal priesthood, we're part of a people for his own possession, we would recognize and we would feel the weight of being those who proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so that gives shape to saying we want to see people restored and our city renewed, and it starts on your street. We want to equip you to do the work of ministry. And one of the primary works of ministry that we're called to do is proclaiming the excellencies of the one who saved us, who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. So we want to think through, and we've, I've tried to think through how we can best equip the saints, which is me and all of you, for the work of ministry so that we can all live on mission on our streets and in our neighborhoods. And these are, I believe, four ways that we're going to see this happen in the year ahead. One, and first and foremost, is we're going to become far more intentional about spending time in prayer, both in service and in our small groups, praying specifically for our neighborhoods and the streets we live on, and specifically for those we are building relationships with who do not yet know Jesus. This means praying through and being kingdom-focused in how we encourage each other in the use of our discretionary income and how we set our social calendars. We are also committing to pray that over the course of 2019 as a church, that as we seek to be intentional in praying for people living on our streets and in our neighborhoods that are far from Christ, we're going to be praying collectively as a church and frequently in service and in small groups that we would see at least, this is at least, means we want to see at least this, hopefully more. We want to see at least 15 people come to know Christ and trust the gospel in the year 2019. So far as a church, we've celebrated a lot of things, but the one thing I am anxiously ready to celebrate is the first person who connected to someone in the life of Restoration Church puts their faith and trust in Jesus, and we get to celebrate them joining our family through hearing their story and through celebrating their baptism. When I first moved here, I started a, a Leaders Collective church planning cohort with Elliot Grudem in Raleigh, and in our first call, with these church planters from all over the country, he said, if God were to answer this prayer for you as you prayed it for your church, how would he answer it? And the prayer was, if God was going to do exceedingly more than all you could ask or imagine, what would the answer to that prayer look like for your church? I told everyone on that call then, I've believed it in the core of my being and prayed through it in the intervening two plus years. I said, if God were to answer that prayer, it would mean that everyone who at one point or another calls Restoration Church home would get the joy and the privilege of leading at least one person to faith in Christ. Like at the end of all of this, when we pack all this up for the last time and Restoration Church ceased to exist, the one thing I want more than anything in the world for our church is that everyone who put their roots down here, who gave their life to the mission and vision of Restoration Church, would get the privilege and the joy of baptizing one person in the faith. One chance to stand over that pool and profess and with joy announce the introduction of a brother or sister into our family. 
And so we're going to be intentional about praying for that. And we're going to pray for at least 15 people in the year ahead. And that means that we've got to be intentional about who we're building relationships with. Who is it on our street, in our office, in our neighborhood that we could begin to build relationships with, that we would earn the right to share the gospel and God in his grace would save them? Second way we're going to do this is by offering monthly opportunities to come learn about how the gospel addresses some of the hot button issues in our society today. So one of the ways we want you to be thinking through uh, seeing people restored and city renewed on your street is by praying. The other thing is we want to see you begin to open up your home or open up time in your schedule to have conversations, to have meals, to have meaningful conversations with non-believers. But if we're honest, and I think this is true, one of the things that we're most concerned about is what if they bring up subject X? Whatever that may be, I feel ill-prepared to answer that question. I'm going to answer it wrong. I'm not going to know what to say. They're going to brush me off, and then all this momentum is going to be lost. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to equip you to begin to feel comfortable with some of the hot, hotter topic, hotter button issues that address or are prevalent in society today. So we're going to do this through discussing the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's small book series called The Gospel for Life. So the subjects include, that we're going to cover over the next nine months, the subjects include racial reconciliation, religious liberty, same-sex marriage, abortion, adoption, marriage, work, pornography, and parenting. So this will start in February, and we'll get an email out with all the details in the coming week or so. But the goal in doing this in nine of the 12 months this year is that you would feel equipped and prepared to talk about how the gospel influences any of those areas of life. Maybe it's more of a personal thing, like you want to know how to better be a parent in light of the gospel. That may be less of a conversation you get into with a, a non-believer. But maybe you have someone that you've been walking with and talking with, and they just hint around at they don't, they're not 100% sure they want to go to a church where they don't affirm same-sex marriage. So how are you going to talk about that well? The goal in our time together on these Saturday mornings going through these short books is to equip you with at least one resource that you can read through in an afternoon to give you some talking points or some understanding points, but then also to, it has more resources that you can follow up on, and we'll have some resources that we will recommend in those times together. But the goal is to equip you to feel comfortable inviting people in. And worst case scenario, let's just play out worst case scenario, because that's what everybody's thinking right now anyway, right? Oh, there's one they didn't address. Somebody comes in, and we've not gotten to the topic. We've not covered their little book on the gospel and abortion. And they ask, well, what's your thoughts on abortion? Well, worst case scenario, you say, hey, our church is going to be talking about that in, the, in two months. Why don't you just come with me? I'll cover your cost. You're going to get a book. We're just going to walk through it. And then afterwards, we can set up some more time to talk about it. We just want to put it on the calendar and have it there so that you have some confidence and some opportunities to grow in your understanding of how to rightly handle the gospel, especially as it relates to some of these more uh, hot button or pressing social issues that are out there. Also, uh, during uh, the month of June and July, April and Adam Mitten, who aren't here tonight, uh, but they are going to be leading us through the book called The Money Challenge by Art Rayner. So we're going to do that over the course of three weeks in the summer. Uh, that is outside of the ERLC's uh, book series, but it's a short, another short book 
three weeks that we'll gather to discuss it, but it helps us think through the gospel-centered way, uh, kingdom-focused way to handle our finances. It's not as intense as Dave Ramsey's financial piece, uh, but if I could be so bold, it's more biblical than Dave Ramsey's financial piece. Um, and so that's why we're going uh, with uh, the money challenge. And so I've done financial peace. I still adhere to some of the tenets of it, but Art's book is a little shorter and a little more to the point, so we want to do that. So we'll get all that out to you uh, in the week and uh, the weeks ahead. Third way we want to equip you is by doing small events in the neighborhoods where you live. If you've been with us for any length of time, it is no stretch to say everything we have tried to do on a large scale has failed miserably, and I will own that from up front. From our ill-fated Labor Day cookout of 2017 uh, to the Easter egg hunt last year uh, to the ice cream social in the Stevens neighborhood, we have spent a lot of money on a lot of things that have gone nowhere. Um, <laughs> you can laugh if you've been here for any of those. It's okay. It's cathartic to get it out of your system. And so one of the things we want to do this year Instead of putting all of our money and all of our resources into two or three things where we cast such a wide net that it's almost impossible to know who we could get to show up, what we want to do is capitalize on your developing relationships in your neighborhoods and on your streets so that we would do six to eight smaller events through the course of the year, getting around to everyone's neighborhood or everyone's street for a church-sponsored cookout. Here's the benefit of that. It's not a sink or swim in three events where we go, if people don't show up, which has never been the case, we're really not being good stewards of your time. And those who give to support the work that we're doing, we're not being good stewards of the resources they're providing through their sacrificial giving. And so it's one thing to go three times and go, all right, maybe next time will be different. At this point, we've got our three strikes. We've used them up. We're moving on to the next inning. The other benefit to that is this. If we can do six or eight events through the year instead of two or three big events, it means that we're active in our communities throughout the year. And the other added benefit is this. It gives the chance for there to be follow-up relationships in your home because you're going to get to meet neighbors and people on your street that maybe you've not met before. It's going to be an opportunity, not just for the church to put something on, where people come to the church event, and then we depend on them coming in on a Sunday to find us. It's we're doing it in your neighborhood. Now you've got traction, and you've got contacts, and you've got familiarity with faces, so that you would view your home as a ministry hub for the work of the gospel. If we keep doing big events, it's always going to be about people coming to where we are. Why not just take the message of the gospel to the streets and the neighborhoods where you live and then invite you to take ownership of your street and your neighborhood in a meaningful and significant way. And so what that will look like is as small groups get rolling, as, you, as we kind of divide up and people land in their small groups, we'll talk through by February, by the end of February, we'll have mapped out the months and the days that we're going to be hitting the neighborhoods that are represented by the families here. So it will primarily be small groups that will head up these community outreaches. But if there's the need for more people to come in, another few families from the church to come over and help, we'll do that. But primarily what we would love to see is this intentional focus on prayer in small groups about reaching your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers. What we'd love to see is the small groups take ownership 
of seeing the neighborhoods that are represented in their small group reached with the gospel. And then from there, that the homes that are in those neighborhoods would see their home as an outpost for the gospel and a beacon of discipleship as you begin to meet with those who are not yet believers, discipling them in the truth of the gospel until they become a believer and then discipling them after the fact. Discipleship starts before their believers and it goes on after their believers. And so that's the aim and the goal. Way less big deal failures. And at least if something doesn't go well, we've not sunk a couple grand and all of our time and resources into it. We've only maybe lost an afternoon and not quite as much money. So, but we're going to pray and continue to try to be wise stewards, and we're going to do that. Third way uh, that we're going to continue to work to see uh, people restored in our city renewed is by continuing our missional work with both Vigilant Hope and Hal Pre-K. So we didn't go to Vigilant Hope this month because... And if you're taking notes or you're the note taker, we'll get this out. But this is key to hear and remember. Vigilant Hope is now an even-numbered month responsibility for us. Vigilant Hope is not an every-month responsibility. It is even-numbered months. So 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. We're not, who do we appreciate? Even-numbered months, we will be going to Vigilant Hope. I'm waiting to hear back from Laura on if it will still be the first Saturday or if it will be a different Saturday in the month. But we will go, and instead of necessarily providing meal, uh, meal necessities for that morning, we're going to be more of the stocker of their shelves. So if they need more napkins, if they need more plasticware, if they need more plates, the bigger things that they need on a rolling, continual basis is what we will provide as a church family and as individuals. Um, so that will be even-numbered months. Then starting in uh, March. So in your odd-numbered months, we will be going back to how pre-K on a far more intentional basis because let's be honest, the hurricane threw us all for a loop. It threw everyone into a decent amount or a significant amount of chaos regarding scheduling and what needed to be done, what became of primary importance and secondary importance. And so we want to honor the fact that it took how a while to get their feet back under them. We didn't want to just rush in and then feel pressured to have to figure out stuff for us to do. So starting in March through the year, we will be at how on the odd-numbered months serving and ministering to them. And then sprinkled in there, we're going to continue to reach out to partner churches about sending teams in to do Hurricane Florence relief work. Depending on who you ask and, and what numbers you see about the work that needs to be done, we're anywhere between 30-ish to 36 months worth of work to be done in and around our city. Um, that includes down south into Brunswick County. Uh, that includes uh, north into Pender. Uh, and that includes uh, back uh, west into the Rocky Point, um, Wallace, Bergal areas. There's just mountains of work to be done. And so we feel like for us as a church, the best way that we can serve our city is by focusing on vigilant hope, and by focusing on how. And then as others want to come in and serve our city, we want to help bring them in and turn them loose to do more hurricane relief, recovery, and rebuild efforts. And so that's, that for us I mean, is, is how we see the year ahead going. Is It's more equipping, more thinking about how do we equip the saints to do the work of the ministry? How do we get you guys uh, equipped to feel comfortable proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? And then celebrating in big and small ways how God begins to answer our prayers 
for people far from him to be drawn to him and to trust him for saving faith. And so that's where we're headed this year. We want to see people restored and we want to see our city renewed. And really, if it's ever going to be something that happens with any significant impact, then it has to start on each of our streets. And so that's where we're headed in 2019. But God willing, we're going to be back here in 2020 talking about what that year looks like and in 2021 and in 2022 and on. And so what I want to talk about now is let's zoom out on the lens three to five years. So let's think not just in terms of this year. Let's think in terms of three to five years. Where do we see the church headed? The first thing we're going to do is over the course of this year, we're going to join the Acts 29 network of churches. You may go, why we need to join a network of churches like Acts 29? I thought we were Baptist. Well, we are a member of the Cape Fear Network of Baptist Churches, and we're glad to be a part of that. It has paid massive dividends for us. The reason we're sitting in College Acres having service is because of our connection with the Cape Fear Network of Baptist Churches. And so we want to continue to cheer them on, and we want to be involved. I stay involved there with what they're doing. Uh, But there's also the need to be connected to churches outside of our little pocket of southeastern North Carolina not only for ministry ideas and for um, ministry opportunities, but also for financial partnerships and and things like that. And so Acts 29 uh, makes the most sense as far as continuing to equip our church leadership um, along with many ministry opportunities that come with being a part of the network. And one of the things that we're praying through and we're beginning to dream about as a church is that in joining Acts 29, that we will become a hub church for planning churches up and down the coast of North and South Carolina. That we would be a church that people would send guys to. We would not only be raising up our own, we're going to get that in a second, but that men who have a desire to plant churches between the North Carolina-Virginia line and Charleston, South Carolina, would come to us. We would be able to help train and equip them, help give them a time to understand what it's like to live and minister in a coastal city, in a coastal town, and then send them out to plant churches up and down the coast that would be beacons of hope and beacons of of the gospel. That's our dream. I've not told anybody in Acts 29 that, so if they listen to this, congratulations, that's what we want to do. But it is a dream that we have that we wouldn't just think only in terms of seeing people restored and our city renewed, but we would think in terms of seeing the entire southeast through these cities up and down our coast, seeing people restored and city renewed, seeing people restored and cities renewed up and down the coast, if we, by God's grace, were to become a hub church that was able to help facilitate that process. The other thing that we're doing that has an impact three to five years, but hopefully will happen this year, is we're praying through the opportunity to move to Sunday mornings at Seagate Baptist Church. We're hopeful that this will become a reality in the next week or so. Um, I'm waiting to hear back from Steve Smith, who is the pastor there. I'm going to call him uh, tomorrow. I I touched base with him briefly before Christmas, and then nobody is available uh, between Christmas and New Year. If you start talking to people on like December 18th, they're like, I get up with you after the New Year. And that's about when I called Steve. So we're going to follow up on that. But we believe really that this could be a long-term catalyst for us for healthy growth here in our city, and we think it sets us up to begin to do the things that we feel God leading us to do as a church. If people still think in terms of Sunday morning worship time here in Wilmington, as odd and as fun and as peculiar as our city can be, 
there, everyone still thinks of worship in terms of it needs to happen somewhere between 9.30 and 11 on a Sunday morning. And so we're hopeful that that move this year would be something that in three to five years would help maybe fulfill that dream and that prayer of becoming a hub church and ascending church for cities up and down the North and South Carolina coast. Last thing before we close our time uh, together is this. We are praying that in the next three to five years, we will plant our first church. And here's where we want to plant our first church. In our city. So here's the deal. This is something that I've been wrestling with, processing, thinking through. What does it look like to raise up faithful elders and deacons in our church, and then instead of sending them halfway across the country, instead of sending them 600 miles north or 800 miles south, what if we sent them 30 minutes down the road to continue the gospel work of seeing the kingdom advance in our city? And so here is long term, this is my dream and my prayer for us, is that we would be faithful and diligent in our praying and in our equipping and in God being faithful to raise up godly leaders to send out. So this is the example I thought of to begin to frame this out and understand it. What if we had, through the effectiveness and God's answering our prayer, what if we begin to have 25 plus people drive from somewhere between Monkey Junction and Carolina Beach here for church? If you're honest, if you live here and you understand distance, that's too far, really, to ask people to drive. If we can look around in our midst and say, we've got a guy who can actually lead a church in the Monkey Junction, Carolina Beach area, how much more effective would those 25-plus people be in reaching their neighborhoods and in reaching their communities if they weren't asking those people to give 35 minutes one way for a commute on Sunday mornings if we could move more towards community or neighborhood churches in our city? Because if, if you think about it, that's how our city falls out anyway. And now a large part of the crystallization of this thinking to Debbie Leach, because we were talking at the free yard sale we did in Bergal a few uh, back before Thanksgiving. We're talking about driving to eat. And Debbie just said, yeah, we kind of have our little triangle down in Monkey Junction that we drive in. Like, that's where we go to do everything that we do. And I was like, well, our church doesn't fit in that triangle. But as I thought about it, I was like, that's true for so many people in our city. We have a triangle or a square there is no circle in this city you don't have a circle that can be your you have some form of a hard-edged shape that you drive in you have a square a trapezoid whatever you want to drive in but we all have just these areas that we most frequently go to to eat to shop to buy our groceries and they're near our neighborhoods. And most people, just like you, will not drive across town, no matter how good the sale is, if they can get something similar 15 minutes closer. And so our vision and our thought and our prayer is, some of you will drive as far as you have to for a sale, or if it's free, I understand. So our thought and our dream and our vision is, if we see people on our streets and in our neighborhoods responding to the gospel, and we begin to see large numbers of people coming from one area of our city, then why would we not pray? Rather than send our best somewhere else where it's impossible to keep up with them, impossible to talk to them, impossible to know what's going on, why would we not just say, 
hey, if you guys are willing, let's just begin to pray through and pursue planting a church in Monkey Junction. Hey, what would it look like if we planted a church in Surfside? What would it look like if we planted a church on the other end of Leland toward Ocean Isle? What would it look like if instead of saying everybody come here to hear me, which would I don't understand, but it, well, rather than everybody coming here, I don't want to preach more than twice on a Sunday. You're not dragging me into a Saturday night service God, by God's grace, and you're not dragging me into three services on a Sunday. Here's what that means. It means that we have to be willing, that I have to be willing, the church leadership always has to be willing, not in thinking about how do we amass more power, but how do we empower people to do the work of the gospel. It's two vastly different ways to think about church, two incredibly different ways to think about church. So rather than thinking, how do we amass power? How do I wield this influence over four, five, six hundred people? Why not say, hey, at 175 to 225 people, we've probably got enough that we can send some people out and start a new church. And so our vision, our thought is not, let's create some monolithic structure called restoration. Let's create a movement of God where restoration serves as a vehicle and a catalyst for empowering and raising up godly men and women who could go out and in grace and by the love of Christ that has so radically changed their hearts, plant churches all over our city who would be effectively reaching the people they already live and work and play beside. And so in three to five years, we want to plant our first church. But we want to plant it here. And we want to begin to marvel and dream and think about what God would do if we just surrendered the idea that Restoration Church would ever grow up into something big and unwieldy and hard to move. And what would it look like if Restoration Church just always looked to move out? Not primarily through small groups but primarily through planting other churches in and around our city for the glory and the fame of Jesus. So that when the chief shepherd appears, not just me, but each one of us would receive the unfading crown of glory that he has already won for us. That's not three to five years. That's eternal thinking. But that's going to be the thinking that helps give clarity and catalyst to our mission as a church. I believe our future here is bright and full of potential. And I hope that after our time together tonight, you believe in what God is leading us to in the years, in the year and years ahead. And my prayer for us is that we would be enduringly faithful to the gospel and that God would do more among us and through us than all that we could ask or imagine. Let's pray.